Father, we've come to the time in this service when we pause in your presence and we hear from your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet, light to our path. Your word is a manual for life. It's your communicative voice speaking to us. God breathed, eternal and infallible. And we know that your word, O Lord, is the one thing that endures forever. When everything else has passed away, your word will still stand. Its truth is enlightening to us and encouraging to us. We ask you to bless, O Lord, this morning preaching event that we will be useful as an instrument in your hand to convey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. In that name above every name we pray. Amen and amen. We're in the midst of a study of the seven churches of Asia. We've already preached about Ephesus. Last Sunday we preached about Smyrna. The Ephesian church was a church that lost its love. A church that did good things was a very busy church. And God commended, the Lord Jesus commended them for doing great things. They were very busy. But he said, I have somewhat against you. His complaint was, you don't have the zeal and the enthusiasm that you once had. You don't seem to have that passion of your first love. How many of you know about first love? Yeah, about two of you are willing to raise your hand. There's one more. Well, do you remember when you first met that sweet little thing sitting beside you? And do you remember when you were so awestruck by that handsome man that walked into your life? And do you remember those first days and those first weeks of that love, that first love, that passion? Amen. That's what he's talking about. He said, when you first met me, you had great passion. When you first met me, we had great love. Made beautiful music. Praise God. When we first started out, how good it was. But now you've got used to me. But now the everyday familiarity has brought about a change in our relationship. And we've settled down into a rhythm we call life. Well, the Lord said to the Ephesian church, I want you to recover that. And he said, repent for losing it and get on your knees and ask God to restore that. Amen. That's a good prayer. Well, we fixed that church. So then the Smyrna church Hey, of all the churches, there were only two that he had no condemnation for. Nothing against, nothing to say about them, nothing but commending things. And he commended the church at Smyrna because they were a persecuted church. They were a church that went on through utter poverty, that went on through persecution, threat of death, threat of uh, uh, beatings and imprisonment and that kind of thing. But they still endured in strong faith. And he had a commendation for them. So thank God for the Smyrna church because he's promised them a crown, a crown that fadeth not away. It's the the crown of the faithful, the crown of the steadfast, the crown of those people that are so diligent in their pursuit of God's will for their lives. And that brings us to another church today, and it's a church called Pergamos. Can you say Pergamos? Pergamos. Well, as the letters are delivered, as one who was carrying the mail would deliver them, first stop would be Ephesus, and then about 90 miles up the road would be Smyrna, and then about 55 miles on north up the road would be Pergamos. 
Pergamos was a city of about 200,000 people. It sat inland from the Aegean Sea about 35 miles. It was an outstanding city of culture and art. And yes, there was a medicine school there, Doc. A university that was there that taught medicine. And you'll find out how that has significance later on in the message. A great university. There was a, a library there that had over 200,000 volumes in that library. One of the greatest libraries in all of the world. Now, you know, they didn't have printing presses back then. So everything was written on papyrus. Everything was written on scrolls and rolled up. So can you imagine how long it took to write 200,000 books on animal skins and roll them up and put them in a library insomuch that the library at Pergamos was one of the largest in all of the world. The city was an outstanding city with its own Acropolis. You know what Acropolis means? We all know about the one in Athens. The Acropolis means highest place. So they had a big high hill that was there. And on that hill, they built a temple to Zeus. You know who Zeus is, don't you? He's that Greek god that uh, is supposed to be so great and so popular among them. And they built an altar on top of that, that hill. And it looked like as you, you were entering into the city like a huge throne or a, a huge altar, as it were, were built upon that, that hill uh, in honor of the Greek goddess, a uh, god Zeus. There were other gods that were worshipped there, and you ladies are like this. There was the uh, Athena, who was the fertility goddess. And a temple was built to her, and the city was full of people who were worshippers of uh, uh, Athena. There were people that worshipped Dionysius. Dionysius, another one of the Greek gods that was involved with all kind of sensual perversion and all kinds of, of sex acts. It was a, a terrible, terrible paganism. And these religions were, were prominent and abroad, not, I call three, there were many of them that were there. And in that setting and in that huge city of 200,000, there was a little church, a little church of Christian believers. And brother, they were, they were great preachers of the word, great spreaders, good disciples of Christ. They did a good job at being a, a good church. They were a great church. Let's read about them from the account in the second chapter of the book of Revelation. And of the angel of the church. How many know what angel means? The messenger. In this case, probably the pastor. He was probably a man, though not called his, his name here, but he was probably a man named Antipas. We'll learn about that later because he gave his life and was killed as the pastor of the church. And the angel of the church at Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. This letter is coming from the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now where do we first meet this character with the sharp two-edged sword? In Revelation chapter 1 when John turned and he saw the glorified Christ he saw hair white like wool and about his paps a golden girdle, a priestly robe down to his feet and feet as brass burnt in the furnace and he fell as a dead man. And he said out of his mouth there was a sharp two-edged sword. Well, that one who appeared to him 
in the midst of the candlesticks who walks amongst the churches is the one who is the writer of this letter. Thus says the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works, and I know where you live. I know where you dwell. I know that you live in a very, very distinct place where Satan's seat is, and I know that thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Now, brother, you've lived in some pretty bad places. I think there's one city in America that's called Sin City. Sin City. There's probably some other towns. I think there's one town called Hell, H-E-L-L. Brother, if you didn't have a better name than that, I, I just wouldn't even name it, would you? Wow. I know of other, other cities that are called crazy names, but can you believe that this city is, in Pergamos, is called the city seat of Satan himself? Now, you've probably lived in some pretty bad places, but you've never lived in a place that was the capital city of Satan himself. Well, where Satan dwellest. Boy, those words are pretty, pretty stark, aren't they? To realize that Satan, and you, you, you can't do the Christological things about the book of Revelation without also doing those uh, demonology things, those, those things that pertain to what the devil is and what he does. And I want to tell you, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have an eternal enemy. And that enemy is none other than the adversary that's mentioned in 1 Peter 5 and 8, our adversary, the devil. He is Satan himself. Today, if Satan could, Victor, he would wipe this church out in a moment's time. Satan is thinking and plotting and scheming right now to come up with a device that he can destroy this church with. It. Are you listening to this preacher? There is one who hates you so much that he would go to any length, hurt anybody, destroy anybody in order to defeat this church and wipe this church out. You may be despised by a lot of people, but you are not hated by anyone anymore than Satan hates this church and is doing his very best to destroy it every way that he can. But you know, over the years, if you'll look at these martyrdoms and you'll look at these persecution, the church thrives well when it's persecuted. The church grows exponentially when it is threatened by persecution. In other words, the harder that the devil fights against it, the greater it grows the greater it grows. The greatest years of growth in the evangelical church is post-war years when we fought wars against a demigod who intended to rule the world and we sent boys and ladies who died in battlefields and shed their blood so that this country could have an American way which is becoming so convoluted now that it's hard to recognize it. 
but the Bible still says, blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. The Bible still says that God is higher than nations, that God rules and governs over nations, that there is no nationality that is above our great God who rules from the heavens above. Amen. And America is blessed when we recognize that and when we honor that fact that America is free because God wills it. America is the most rich and wealthy nation in the world because God wills it. But God doesn't will that just so we can be fat cats and sassy. He wills that so that we will send missionaries and so that we will give money and so that we will uh, do our part to see to it that the gospel is spread to every creature, that people from all over the globe can be blessed because God's people are blessed. You're blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. So in this instance, the church at, at Pergamos has the un- misfortune, rather, of being in the capital seat of Satan himself. That is what is now known as Iran and Iraq, that same area. I want to ask you, have you ever heard of a Holy Ghost revival from Iran or Iraq? Could it be that Satan, I want to tell you something, the devil is not like God. Are you hearing, Pastor, this morning? The devil is not like God. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at one time. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Well, Brother Jerry, how does he know how to attack me? You tell him. How does he know how to come up with a a device or a scheme that'll be trouble for me? You talk so much. You tell everybody about it and he listens. He can't see in your heart. He can't, he just listens and observes. Come on, somebody. The devil is not omnipresent. He's not all-knowing. And he's certainly not all-powerful. He is only allowed to do what God allows him to do. He he says in conversations with God, if you'll take your hand off of him, if you'll take your hand off of her, if you'll remove that hedge of protection that you've got around her, if you'll remove your care from that situation, I can do this and I can do that. In fact, I'd like to get in that herd of hogs over there. Would you give me permission to go over there and get in that herd of hogs? His power is not omnipotent power. He doesn't have omnipotent power. He can only move as he's allowed to move. But the basis of his operations, now there are many, many spirits that have gone out of the world. We call them demonic spirits. We call them foul spirits. We call them evil spirits. And they are spirits that are subservient to uh, Lucifer and subservient to Satan. He is called the God of this world. And what does the God of this world do, Pastor? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. 
in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them that they might be saved. So the principal function of the God of this world is to blind the minds of them that are lost, them that, uh, whom the gospel is hid. If the gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded their eyes, blinded their minds, so that they can't see with their reason and see with their thinking. If they could see with the right mind and the right thought process, who wouldn't give their life to the Lord Jesus? Who wouldn't surrender their will to the Lord Jesus? Who wouldn't turn their whole being over to the Lord Jesus if they could just reason and think in their right mind? No wonder God says, come therefore and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though your iniquities be as crimson, they shall be white like wool. Thanks be to God who wants everybody to get saved. How do you know God wants everybody to get saved? Because First Peter said it is not the will of God that any should perish. It's the, not the will of God that you be duped and chloroformed by Satan's blinders. It's not the will of God that you be sold a bill of goods by Satan's evil spirits. It's not the will of God that you be tricked and seduced and enticed and fooled. It's God's will that you see with spirit eyes and that you make decisions and that you reason out of a mind, a ready mind, the Bible said. A ready mind. God, help every one of us in this house to have a ready mind. Help every one of us to recognize who's talking. The Lord said, my sheep know my voice. And the devil's wolves know his voice too. Come on now. And I want to tell you, while we're sitting here at a, in a place where we worship God, there are places right now where they're worshiping Lucifer. And you may think, that, oh, that's probably in New York City or maybe out at San Francisco. No, it's probably in your backyard. Satan has planted his emissaries and has planted his his propaganda experts they're on television speaking lies the Bible said in hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron they have no feeling for anybody or anything they're out for their own gain and their own good come on somebody that's, that's right and the Bible said that would happen when in the latter times some some shall depart from the faith. Why did they depart? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies in hypocrisy. You mean that's going on in America right now, Pastor? Yes. If you don't believe these are the latter times, then you need to take another look at the book. Because the Bible teaches us all that's going on right now is prophesied. Since 1948, eschatology has just with great rapidity speeded up. Almost daily you see prophecies fulfilled all around you. 
Certainly we're in the latter times. And one of the indications is apostasy. Now apostasy doesn't mean backsliding. Apostasy means abandon the faith. In other words, give up on verbal inspiration. Take a soft view of infallibility of Scripture. Ease up on virgin birth. Don't be so strong about blood atonement. Don't take such a stand about eternal punishment. Don't be so convinced about resurrection. You need to be soft on all those things. Those things you need. Christians, you'd win more people if you just let up on some of those things. That's propaganda and that's a, a bunch of mess. Hogwash. This book says, let every man be a liar and let God's word be the truth. This Bible said the time is coming when they will turn away their ears from the truth. And we're certainly there and shall be turned unto fables, telling stories, some feel-good something. Well, Pastor Pergamus don't make me really feel good. That's not what I was looking for this morning. Well, I'm doing you the biggest favor I could ever do anybody. I'm trying to tell you what God's Word says. I'm trying to help you wake up and realize that God is not some mamby-pamby, grandfatherly-like tottering old man. He is a God from whom his voice thunders and echoes. Every morning he rolls out the heavens. Amen. Everything that happens on this earth happens with his permission. Everything is under his control with our great God and by his body outstretched arm. All of history is moving right along. He is in charge. He is in control. Don't ever, ever think that the world is out of control. It's not out of control. I know your works and I know where you live. But that tells me for every one of you that's here that's struggling, God knows. Can somebody say God knows? God knows. Yeah, but pastor, I'm having such a hard time. God knows. Well, pastor, if I could just somehow get God knows. I've been struggling, pastor, with this old disease and this, this health, is, but God knows. I said God knows. God knows. God knows. I know where you live. I know how you, how, you, how you worship me. And I know how you've continued to hold fast. I know how you've trusted in my name. I know how you've had faith and not denied. I know those days when, when your pastor got killed and you stood there and watched them murder your pastor. It didn't dent your faith. You continued to go on and teach and preach Jesus to people even though you witnessed with your own eyes the martyrdom of your pastor. Brother, you got to commend somebody that does that. If they were to come in here this morning and arrest me for preaching Jesus, handcuff me and lead me away, and this next week put me in an electric chair and shocked the life out of me, what would you do next Sunday? 
What would you do next Sunday? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I love Jesus and everything like that, but I got a family to raise. I got, I got a job. I got to work. I got to, I got to bring home some. Come on. You see, when it comes right down to it, what you really believe, are you willing to take a strong stand for what you believe? This entire church, well, I won't say the entire church because I don't know it's the entire church because some of them had real problems. But the heart of the church went right on preaching and right on ministering. They showed up next Sunday. They taught their Sunday school class. They put their tithe in the offering plate. They prayed, they sang, they lifted up holy hands. They worshiped. They gave God glory. They listened to the word of God just like always. You mean they just continued right on? Yeah, they never missed a step. And listen what he said. Are you sure you're reading that? Put it back up there. Don't let it, let it fade away. I want them to see it. That even in those days, somebody say even in those days. Even in those days where your pastor was my faithful martyr and was slain among you, where certain live, where Satan certainly lives. And you just kept on going and held fast to my name and did not deny my faith. Now I could preach a rest of my time right there. You didn't deny my faith. You didn't cave in. You didn't fold up. You didn't throw in the towel. You didn't quit. You kept on going. Wow. And now we've run into that next three-letter word that has so much power. But, we preached about but here not long ago. You've done all these great things. You've done these marvelous, marvelous things. Nevertheless, I have a few things that you could do better. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit fornication. Well, you remember who Balaam is. Balaam is that Old Testament prophet that, I, I, let me call him what he was. He was a prostitute prophet. He was for sale. He'd preach whatever you wanted him to preach for the highest bid. Whoever pays the most and desires the most, that's what I'll do. And the king of Moab, now where does Moab come from? Moab comes from those daughters that slept with Lot, got him drunk. Now, guys, it's an insult to every one of us that some silly four women got a man drunk and committed incest with his daughters, and that's what Moab, that's what Moab is about. That's how they came into being. That's how their race started. Now, the king of Moab 
views Israel as a thorn in his side. In Moab, all kinds of fornication, sexual perversion, lasciviousness, licentiousness is going on in Moab. And Moab says, if I can just buy me a preacher. So he offered Balaam money if you'll preach and curse Israel. So he's on his way whipping his donkey. You might not all put that scripture up there. Whipping his donkey. And as he's beating on his donkey, hurry up! We got to get over here and preach and curse Israel so we can get our money. And the Bible said the donkey turned around and talked to him. Well, if chickens can preach, a rooster preached, surely a donkey can preach. The donkey turned around and said, Why are you beating me? You call me stupid and dumb and fool. Look at you. Look what you're doing, stupid. Wouldn't it be something if we could get people that are kind of seduced and enticed and wanting to go the way of the world and turning loose of God? Wouldn't it be great to walk and say, Hey, stupid, what do you think you're doing? But we got to be nice. Got to be nice. Balaam said, well, said I, I, I'm still going on. And an angel got him. Whoa, whoa, stop. Why are you beating that animal? The animal's got more sense than you've got. And it came about that when Balaam, when he'd preach cursings, God would turn them into blessings. That every time he'd try to curse God's people, it would come out a blessing. So he realized this is not going to work. I will not get paid for blessings. I will only get paid for cursings. Come on, somebody. Only cursings. So he said, I've got to figure out here a scheme. I've got to figure out something. So the Bible said he went to the women of Moab. And he said, if you women will go over to those Israeli men and you'll seduce and entice them and commit fornication with them, we'll win them over to our side. I can't preach and make it happen, but you can sleep with them and make it happen. Boy, that's some heavy stuff, isn't it? I won't listen to no preaching, but I'll listen to a prostitute. I won't listen to a prophet of God tell me the truth, but I'll listen to a prostitute. How stupid, how convoluted is that? And the Bible said that that was so successful that Baalism has become a doctrine of luring and pulling people away from their faith and giving up on their identity as a person of God. Wow, that's great stuff. You have the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block 
before the children of Israel than to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, that doctrine comes from a, a guy named Nicholas. And his was a message of passivity and apathy. God is not so serious about all these things that, that you people think are sin. God, God, God's not really against it. And after all, didn't he tell Adam and Eve, replenish the earth? Go ye therefore and replenish the earth, multiply, populate the earth. God's happy with people uh, populating the earth. There's no sin in that. Yeah, if you don't take into account one man and one woman, that he said, they twain shall be one. And what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. If you throw that out the window, if you disregard all of the things that God said about family and home, a pastor friend of mine, well, had it happen myself. Went to meet with some people having difficulty in their marriage. And she had been so unfaithful for so many times, she looked at this pastor and she said, God's all right with all this. God's okay with my infidelity. He don't really mind. I'm right with God. I've got a good, good relationship with God. Everything's all right. We're fine. Brother, when you can do sin and live in sin and do it repeatedly and feel no remorse and then invoke God's blessing upon your sin, that, that was Nicholas. That was Nicholas. And he would tell people in the church, uh, it's not a sin to do this, it's not a sin to do that. And he would try to get people to disobey the Lord and to break their church covenant. Come on. Thou hast also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. How do you really feel about it, God? I hate it. Do you really hate it? I said I hate it. I hate for people to misrepresent me. I hate for people to take something I said as truth and twist it and make it a lie. I hate for someone to scatter some propaganda about me and my house and my people that's not true. I hate that. Which things I hate. Listen to what next word. Repent. Repent. This is a church. This is a church that held to the faith. This is a church that did right and didn't deny his name, that held up the banner and kept going even when times were tough, even when their pastor was jailed and killed. They kept on going and kept on working. But he said, I've got something that you need to repent of. You're too soft on sin. You won't call wrong wrong. You let people do atrocious, sinful, evil things and you don't challenge them about it. You let people break my heart. You let people do things that's ungodly. 
You let people say and do and act in a way that's dishonoring to the name Christian, that's dishonoring to Christ, and you don't ever challenge them about that. You don't say anything to them about it. You mean God feels that strongly, Pastor? Well, it's on the board, and I'm reading it right out of this book. Repent, or else I will come unto thee, and I will fight against them with that sword of my mouth. I'll slice them up with the sword of my mouth. My Lord, you mean God is that serious about the church maintaining integrity? You mean the church is that serious about sin that God expects the church to hold to the standard? You mean that God expects us to call sin, sin, and wrongdoing, wrongdoing? But pastor, they pay a bunch of tithes. We'll lose all that tithes. And you know what a, what a strain it is around here for payment. We can't lose anybody because you preach too hard. We can't have anybody leave because you, you're too tough on sin. Can you just let up a little bit? We'd get more people in here. They love our singing. We're friendly. We love people and everything, but my God, quit preaching against sin. Don't hold your breath. I will fight against him. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of hidden manna. Come on, Victor, play for me. A bunch of them thinks I've already quit, but I, I'm just still going. <laughs> to him that overcometh. What does overcome mean? How many times does the Bible in the book of Revelation talk about overcoming? Over, are there any overcomers here? Any overcomers? You know what? But if I was here and I knew Jesus in the slightest way, I'd have jumped up on my feet and said, Yes, sir, here I am. The Bible said he hath made us overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. That we've been brought into newness of life. We've been brought from death unto life because of the blood of the Lamb. We've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son because of the blood of the lamb. You better believe I want to be an overcomer. Y'all ask me, are you an overcomer? Ask me. Yes! Yes, I'm an overcomer. You better believe I'm an overcomer. You got the victory. You better believe I got the victory. Are you an overcomer? Are you a winner? Yes, you better believe I'm a winner. Well, here is what is reserved for him that overcomes. I will reserve for him the hidden manna. Well, why is it hidden, Pastor? Why? Right, we know what manna is. That's the, that bread-like stuff they went out there and gathered up off the ground every morning. They ate it for years. It fed them. It was heaven's food. 
You might say it was angel food cake. They ate that manna, but when the city of Jerusalem was in, under attack, and when the barbarians came, the Chaldeans came, and they plundered the house of God, some believe an angel came and got the ark and buried it somewhere on Mount Sinai. Others believe that Jeremiah came and took the ark and hid it and dug and put it in a cave and preserved it. That after the 70 years, they brought it back out. You know what was in that ark? Number one, there was Aaron's rod that budded. Praise God. That rod that stretched out across waters. That, that rod. Secondly, there was the broken law of God. That broken law of God. Thirdly, there was a pot of hidden manna in the ark of covenant. Don't lose that now. Ark of the covenant. The manna was hidden in the covenant. Well, I ain't got time to preach a whole lot right there, but I will tell you what. The manna is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because in John 5, 61, he said, I am the bread of life. Hallelujah. He is that hidden manna. Well, I've got problems. I'll give you Jesus. Well, I need, I need a supply. I'll give you Jesus. Well, I got to fight a battle. Well, I'll give you Jesus. To him that overcomes, I will give the hidden manna, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Alpha and the Omega. The one that was dead but now is alive. That one that's never lost a battle. That one that's overcome the grave and death and hell. God said, I'll give him to you. Have you got Jesus? Have you got Jesus? I ask you, have you got Jesus? Have you got Jesus? I will give him that manna, the hidden manna. I will also give that overcomer a white stone. A white stone. What in the world is a white stone? A white stone in the Greek Olympic Games when you won a race or you won an event, they came and gave you a white stone for winning the race. And on the other side of it, there was something written that only you could know. There's something between me and the Lord Jesus that he and I are the only ones that know it. There's a communication between me and my precious Jesus that no one else 
knows what he has with me. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Glory to God. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. We have something with God that nobody else can know about. I have a relationship with him. I have a friendship with him. I have a communion with him that nobody else knows about. It's personal. It's between him and me. We've got it together. And he said, if you won't be ashamed of me, then I won't be ashamed of you. Glory to God. Have you got the stone? Are you a winner? You said you were a winner. Have you got the stone? Have you got that white stone that says I'm a winner, not a loser? Have you got that white stone that says I've got Jesus in my heart? I got Jesus in my life. One more thing about that stone. After the Olympic Games, after the contest, after the running, after the jumping, after all the winners have been declared, they had a big celebration, a big Olympic festival. Do you know how you got into that? You presented your white stone. And that was your ticket for admission to the celebration. Oh, glory to God, one day there's going to be a celebration in a place we call heaven. There's going to be a celebration in a place that we call the eternal home. There's going to be a celebration. And you know what my ticket is? My relationship with the Lord Jesus is my ticket. If you got the Son, you've got everlasting life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't get to celebrate. Oh, praise God, I want to be in that number, don't you? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Get down here quick as you can. Let's pray. I want to be a church that holds up the banner. I want to be a church that calls sin, sin. Come on, come pray with me. Come quick, 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 quick. Come and pray with me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. Can't nobody. Can't nobody touch me like Jesus. Can't nobody help me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. I feel his presence this morning, don't you? I feel his presence here this morning, don't you? I feel his presence here this morning, don't you? Oh, hallelujah. Why don't you just lift those hands up to the Lord? And say, I thank you, God, that you're mine. And I thank you that I'm yours. I thank you that I've got the white stone of relationship. I thank you that I've got a promise awaiting me in heaven. I thank you that I've got a home eternal awaiting me. I thank you, God, that you're the Lord of my life. 
I'm thankful that the blood of the Lord Jesus is on my soul. I'm thankful that my prayers are answered by names in the book of life. I thank you that your blood has covered it all, that your blood has, has won an eternal victory over sin. I thank you for everything, God, that you've done for me. Thank you, God, for my children. Thank you for my loved ones that you've saved. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, thank you, thank you, because nobody could do it for me but you. Nobody could lift me up but you. Nobody could save me but you. Nobody could forgive me but you. Nobody could heal me but you. Nobody could give me freedom but you. You're the one. You're the only God. You're our Savior. You're our Savior. We're looking to the heavens from which cometh our help. Oh, God, keep your hand upon this church. Keep your hand upon this church. Keep your hand upon this church. God, keep your hand upon this church. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Come on, folks. Could we give it the best praise we got this morning? Could we just give God some of the highest praise? My highest praise. 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 My greatest gift, Lord, is praise. My greatest joy is praise. The wonder of my life is the joy of praise, the joy of worship, the joy of lifting up holy hands. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Let everything that breath have praise ye the Lord. Somebody said, Brother Irwin, what's heaven going to be like? Oh, heaven's going to be a noisy place. Going to be a noisy place. John said, I heard it and it sounded like thunder. That started on one side of heaven and it thundered all the way to the other side of heaven. He said, I saw a throng, an innumerable throng. And he said, they were saying glory and honor and power and dominion be unto the Lord our God. Well, Brother Terry, I don't not, not to get loud with it. Well, let me tell you, God is not nervous. He's not nervous. He's not timid and he's not bashful and he's not nervous. Loud praise doesn't make him nervous. He loves it. He loves it. One more before I leave. Doc, you'll love this one. Pergamos was the city where the medical college was. They worshiped a deity called Escopolis. Is that it, Doc? His thing was the serpent and the oath of Hippocrates and that oath that every doctor takes is connected to that serpent wrapped around that. It's the seal on the American Medical Association, isn't it? Yeah, 
because Pergamos was the city that had the healing university. So people would come from all over to get to Pergamos to get healed. You know how they healed them? Now girls, y'all gonna fright at this. They took non-venomous snakes and put them into a room and by putting you in that room, you slept there for one night with those non-venomous snakes crawling on you and that it was supposed to heal your body. That's how perverted that stuff was. But in Acts 19, the Apostle Paul appeared on the upper coast and the Bible said, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, We've not heard whether it be a... Under what were you baptized? We was baptized at John's baptism. We got saved and he baptized us in water. But he told us one was coming after him. The lacks of whose shoes he was not able to bear. And he said, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now the 10th verse, he breathed upon them. And the Bible said, and they received the Holy Ghost and spake with tongues the same as we. And the Bible said, and from that encounter right there, these people started traveling out of Ephesus and they got on the road traveling up to Smyrna and they traveled on up to Pergamos. And some of them said, we'll drop off right here and we'll plant a church here in Pergamos. Y'all go on to Thyatira, but said, we're gonna stop here at Pergamos. They tell us there's a, bad place here and uh, emperor worship here is at its peak and they tell me they do a lot of paganism here. They need to hear about a healing. They tell me there's a healing university here and they tell me there's a healing college here that people comes from all over to let snakes crawl on them so they can get healed. But said wouldn't it be great if we can stand down there on that altar of Zeus and talk about a Jesus Christ who is able to heal and deliver and save and set free. Yeah, that's right. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. The healer is Jesus, and he's the hidden manna. He's the hidden manna, and he's the president of the College on Healing. <laughs> I just elected him president, Doc of the Healing University at Pergamos. Praise God. Thank you, God. Lord, it's been such a blessing to be in your house today. It's been such a blessing to feel the refreshing of the Spirit and the touch of God. Lord, don't ever let this leave us. Don't ever let this feeling that we feel in this altar this morning, don't ever let that depart from us. But God, help us to be true and help us, Lord, with love and grace to continue to be the people of God, your hand extended to a lost world. Bless everyone who prayed in this altar this morning, God, and grant their needs and grant their, their prayers. And bless, O oh Lord, as we depart from this place. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.